Amen. Young people, you are dismissed. Follow Brother Cody out the door and have a great time at Junior Church. The rest of us, let's take our Bibles this morning, please. Turn to Malachi, the book of Malachi. It's the very last book of the Old Testament, all right? The book of Malachi. How many of you get excited when the preacher says, let's turn to Malachi? If you don't know and you hear people laughing, somebody tell them, what do we normally talk about in the book of Malachi? Tithing. But I'm not going to talk about that today. Nobody said amen. Thank you for that. Malachi chapter 1. Look at Malachi chapter 1. I've been reading through the book of Malachi and studying, and and we love chapter 3. Baptist preachers got that verse memorized, don't they? Yea, would a man rob God? You've robbed me in tithes and offerings. Well, by the time we get to chapter 3, it is just a an indication of a larger problem. If you will, it is God telling the people of Israel, I need you to start somewhere. Judgment's going to start at the house of God, and I need you to start by getting the tithes and the offerings right. What you're bringing into my storehouse, what you are allowing in the house of God. And the bigger theme of the book of Malachi is this, it's about worship, about worshiping God. Now, if we understand that, we would understand that tithing and giving is a part of worship. We give to show our love. Do you know the greatest example of that is, For God so loved the world that he gave. We give to show our love for something. If you have children and grandchildren, and some of you have great-grandchildren, you give them gifts as an expression of your love. Isn't that right? You know, the whole idea of Santa Claus, and, and uh, I, you know, I'm not an old Scrooge, and so kids are gone, so I won't ruin it for them. If, you're, if your kid is here in big church, they're going to lose Santa Claus here in a minute, all right? But the idea of Santa Claus is he knows when you are sleeping, he knows when you are awake, he knows if you've been what? Bad or good. And he gives gifts based on behavior. So be good for goodness sake. God is not like that. God loved you whether you're good or bad. And he loved the world so much that he gave his only begotten son. Even then while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is not, Santa Claus is like the anti-Jesus Christ. God gives as an expression of his love, not on, based on our behavior, because if he did, we'd all be in trouble we'd all still be lost. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We can't meet that standard. So we better be thankful that God gives as an expression of his love for us. And he gave his only begotten son. And so in turn, the book of Malachi teaches us that a part of worship, Malachi, you would think, you would think if you've gone to a Baptist church your whole life that Malachi chapter three is the only verse of that book that we know about tithing. But that is just one small part of worship. Giving is just a small part, but it is an expression of our love. But I want you to notice in Malachi chapter 1 this morning how how God was speaking to Israel about the problem with their worship. There were some problems going on. They weren't coming to God in the right way, and they were missing out on God's very best because God did not want to manifest his presence among a people who did not praise him who do not worship him. 
And so let's read the chapter together. There's only uh, 14 verses in Malachi chapter 1, and in my Bible it takes up a full page. But we're going to read it this morning because as we look at the passage, I'm not, I'm not typically, typically I'll take these four verses, then these four and these four, and I organize them a little bit. Today we're going to kind of jump all through the chapter back and forth to find proof of these different thoughts this morning. So I need you to read it all, have a concept, and when I say jump over to verse 5, you can go there very quickly and uh, praise the Lord that they are numbered for us. So let's look at Malachi chapter 1. And we'll begin reading there. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Now listen, don't tune it out because it says it's for Israel. There's a lot of good principles here that we can draw from as the people of God. The Bible says that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. Everything. Jesus said that there's not one word of this prophecy that is not a help to us and profitable to us. And so we need to make sure that we understand just because it's Old Testament, but in the messages to Israel in particular, and the context is Israel, there are still good principles we can draw from it. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And so he gives an introduction, but look what he says. The very first thing he says to these people, I have loved you. I have loved you. Isn't that a great way to start a letter? Just telling them he loves them. He's about to come across with some very strong doctrine and some very harsh rebukes of his people, Israel, and yet he wants them to know right up front, I love you. I've loved you, I continue to love you, I will always love you, and yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? And I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, we're not going to spend much time in the first five verses as part of the message today, but I want you to notice, we we see that phrase there, I hated Esau. The Lord Jesus Christ uses a similar comparison later on in the New Testament where he says, except a man hate his mother and his father and his brethren, he cannot be my disciple. This is not hatred as, as we might think of it. But instead, in comparison, it would seem so. In other words, God is saying uh, to Jacob and Esau, he's saying, I I love Jacob. I hated Esau. Or it would appear that I did because I favored Jacob so much. I have set my seal upon them. They are my people. They are the ones that I have called Israel. They are set apart unto me. Esau would later on spawn some tribes, and the Bible talks about that in the next verse. He says in verse 4, whereas Edom, Edom was one of the tribes of Esau, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places, saith the Lord of hosts. They shall build, listen, but I will throw down. And they shall call them the border of wickedness and the people against whom the Lord hath indignation forever. And your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, the Lord will be magnified from the border of Israel. God is saying, Jacob, you wonder, do I love you, Israel? And you say, how have you loved me? He says, I want to tell you this, I have favored you. Oh, Esau, he says, uh, he must think I hate him by comparison. And Edom has fallen, and they're going to try to rebuild, but I'm going to keep casting them down, because I have to reinforce in your minds how much I love you. I I want you to know that you are set apart. Understand this, Edom and the tribes of Esau were now a threat to to Israel. 
And so God kept them, uh, I don't know how to say it, he kept them at bay. And so God was proving his love to Jacob. But now that he's told them he's loved them, notice what he says in verse 5. Or verse 6, sorry. A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? <coughs> Saith, <coughs> excuse me, the Lord of hosts unto you. O priests that despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we have despised thy name? Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? And that ye say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto the governor, will he be pleased with thee? Or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Now I pray you, beseech God, that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye have profaned it, and that ye say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even his meat, is contemptible. He said also, Behold what a weariness it is. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and a voweth, and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing, for I am a great king, saith the Lord of hosts. And my name is dreadful among the heathen. Our Father, we love you. Father, Israel is being rebuked by the prophet Malachi under the Holy Spirit of God. And Lord, we see the rebuke is because of their horrible worship. Half-hearted, not willing to sacrifice. I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to learn the lessons that God has for his people. Lord, I need your help. It's a difficult passage. There's a lot of back and forth. Would you gather our thoughts today? Would you help us to focus on the scripture before us? May the Spirit of God teach us. And Lord, we'll thank you for it all in Jesus' name. Amen. How many of you sometimes get into these Old Testament books of the prophets and just really struggle? I'm one of them, yeah. Some of them are very difficult to follow, and, and I'm going to be honest, I'm not an expert on this, and uh, I'm going to do my best to share with you what God has laid upon my heart this morning. But I spent probably six or seven hours yesterday, this was not the message I had planned, I already had something ready on Thursday or Friday, but I was just reading my Bible and stayed in this one chapter for most of the day, I guess I sat at the table and just read and prayed and tried to understand it. It is a difficult passage. But God impressed upon my heart that he was very concerned that his people were not worshiping properly. I want you to notice 
some things about it this morning. We're going to begin in verse 6. We've already kind of talked about first five verses a little bit about Jacob and Edom, or Esau. But look what he says in verse 6. And we notice, first of all, the problem with their approach. How they approached God. There was an issue here. We're reminded throughout the Old Testament, we see that they brought in strange fire to the altar, and that wasn't acceptable. When they were moving the cart, they were using uh, different uh, carts and things that, that God was not uh, uh, pleased with, and, and God allowed them to fall in the desert. And So many things have to be done in the due order of God. We need to do it God's way. And when we approach him, we, we know that the great high priest would go to the Holy of Holies once a year and there was a process of purification and sanctification and there was a certain way that he must enter into the Holy of Holies and even wore bells around his tassels in case he were to fall to his death and they would drag him out with a rope. It's very important how we approach God. And notice their approach that God lays out to them as we begin in verse 6. It says, A son honoreth his father and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Can you imagine the God of all creation saying to his creation, his children, a son normally honors his father and a servant honors his master. And if I'm your father, where is my honor? Understand this, if, if we can't honor God, who is worthy of honor? We honor so many among us today. Heroes come really cheap anymore. You know, there was a, a baseball game on the other night, and I, I just caught a little clip of it, and it was called the Field of Dreams game. And they had made a movie, I guess, 25 or 30 years ago now, and they had built this ball diamond out in a cornfield, and they kept it. It's kind of a museum now, and so they brought out the White Sox and the Yankees, and they played, and they were hitting, hitting baseballs into the corn, and they were just, I mean, it was kind of a nostalgic thing, and, and people were just in awe. A kid would catch a ball, and he would just start crying. Listen, a hero is not a guy that can hit a baseball. That's not a hero. A hero is one who dies upon a cross and sheds his blood for sins not his own, but to ransom the whole world for those who would come to him in faith. That's what a real hero looks like. Heroes come cheap today. And we give honor to so many earthly heroes and God says, where is my honor? I wonder, is the honor of God reflected in our faces while we sing these old hymns? We say we praise him. The Bible says our hearts are far from him. If, if you could bring a mirror to church, would your face reflect what is going on in your heart? We're so afraid to show God that we love him. We worship him publicly and openly. We're here to honor him and him alone. He says, where is my honor? If you're a master, I'm a master and you're a servant. And he says, where is my fear? Verse 7, they ask, well, what have we done? <laughs> well, how have we despised your name? How have we made you low? He says, you've brought polluted bread to the altar. You brought polluted bread to the table. And you say, where and have we polluted thee? And that you say the table of the Lord is contemptible. 
And if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? I just want to say this. When I'm talking about their attitude, I want you to notice, first of all, it was ritualistic. It was, you say, what do you mean it was ritualistic? Notice that God's complaint about his people Israel was not that they had stopped worshiping, but that their worship was half-hearted. It wasn't that they had quit going to church, but they were bringing the lame sacrifices. And if they had a blind animal, they'd say, what are we going to do with this blind animal? Well, let's set it aside and we'll take it to the table of the Lord. That's what we'll use to worship. No, no, it won't be a firstling of the flock. They're too valuable. We'll just give them our cast-offs. We'll give them the blind. What am I going to do with this, this bread? It has rotted overnight. I made too much, I guess. I'll set that aside. Put it in a little clay pot over there. And we'll take that to the table of the Lord. That's how we'll worship him. Listen, God's complaint was not that they had stopped worshiping, but they were no longer giving God their best. And notice what he says, you have despised my name. I wonder have I done my best for Jesus. That song just came to my mind. wonder, am I giving my all? Is his name being praised by the things I do for his honor? It become ritualistic. Yeah, they, they still went every week. Every Sabbath day, they would take the day off. They would sacrifice throughout the year, just like they always did. But they did the absolute bare minimum. I'll show up. I'll be in my place when somebody says to me, did you bring a lamb today? Oh, absolutely. It's over there on the altar. The priest has it right now. That sickly, blind lamb that I couldn't sell at market, but nobody will know the difference because all they see is a lamb with his blood being shed. Did you bring bread for the table? Oh, yeah. You'll remember, I, I, I'm not 100% sure if this is referring to the table of showbread, but each tribe was responsible for keeping that bread on that table. Can you imagine those priests going in? The, the table of showbread represented the very body of Christ. They picked up the bread from the tribe of Judah, offered it to the Lord, and they picked up the bread from the tribe of, the tribe of Issachar and Gad. They got to Manasseh and they said, what is this rotten bread? Moldy and full of bugs. Is this how this tribe loves Jesus? Is this how they love God? Oh, they're out there. They're singing with everybody else. They're worshiping with everybody else, the whole rest of the tribe. And God says, there's no honor in it. They've defiled my name. The table has become contemptible to them. Boy, it stirred my heart. Think how many times I've come to church because it's a ritual. What are you doing Sunday? Going to church? 
What time? 9.45 Sunday school, 10.30 morning service, 5 p.m. evening service. I'll be there, all three. What are you doing on Sunday, Tony? I'm going to worship the Lord. What are you doing, Amanda? I'm going to meet with God. So I'm going to take my best, my very best. I just heard the story just the other day of a man who, about a 40-year-old man, he was an accomplished piano player. From his youth, he had played piano, I guess like Daniel, and just became very good at it. And so he decided when he was about 30 years old, he wanted to buy a Steinway Grand Piano. It was sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000. He said, I'm not going to go into debt for it, Lord. I'm going to save all my money. Is, is for, and it took him 10 years. For 10 years, he tucked away money so he could buy a Steinway piano. And he finally, the day came, and he was able to buy that piano. And he, he thought as it was being delivered to his house, and he thought, you know, I wonder if the church could use my old, it was a Heinzman upright. I wonder if the church could use that. And God smote his heart. The pastor said, sure, we, we could use a piano. We have Sunday school classes and things that could use pianos. And God smote his heart and he said, why are you giving me the second best? So he called the delivery company and he says, could you take that Steinway Grand Piano over to my church? The thing he labored for for 10 years. And yet he realized why am I giving God second-rate things? Why am I giving him the lame and the blind animals for sacrifice? Why am I giving him polluted bread? You see, for many of us, church is just a ritual. We come and we meet with our connection group and we go to Sunday school class and we go to fellowships and we, we enjoy all those things, but it's just mechanical. God says, no, I need your heart. I need you to worship me again. They couldn't even give God their second best. It was the very bottom of the barrel. They were just going through the motions. They relied, listen, they relied on symbolism to gain God's favor rather than desiring an actual relationship with God. Notice what verse 10 says. Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do you kindle the fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith the Lord of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. This verse in particular, we're talking about Old Testament prophetic books being difficult. This verse really puzzled me. I was trying to figure it out. So I had to get out some lexicons and concordances and try to figure out all the tenses of the words. And here's what I come to understand. God is saying this. Is there not one man among you with the courage to shut the doors? And don't let these terrible, wicked sacrifices in. Isn't there one among you who will stand up and say, no, we're not going to light a fire under that sacrifice. It's second rate. You're better off shutting the doors to the temple and you're better off letting the fire go out under the altar because you're worshiping me for naught. Do you think you'll be accepted? No. Because you're not pleasing unto God. It was ritualistic, but we see secondly, it was revealing. 
It revealed, first of all, listen, it revealed their hatred. It revealed their hatred. You said, come on. You tell me they hated God? Notice the words that are used in scriptural. Contemptible. Contemptible. You ever heard somebody say they have contempt for somebody? That's hatred. He says, you've despised my name. You ever use that word despised? How many of you despise Brussels sprouts? Does that mean you hate them? I mean, I mean, listen, there is no in-between on some things, right? You either love them or you hate them. How many of you despise liver? Some of you love it. There's no in-between, ah, I can take it or leave it. No, no, not with liver or Brussels sprouts. Either you have a palate or you don't. I mean, you can either taste stuff or you can't. And if you can't taste it, then you'll eat liver and Brussels sprouts, amen? That's what despise means, to hate something. That's what being in contempt means, to hate something or to disgrace something. You've defiled my name. My table has become contemptible. It revealed their hatred, first of all, for the place of worship. Notice what he says in verse 7. You offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and you say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, The table of the Lord is contemptible. The table of the Lord is a place of gathering. When we think about a table, we think about fellowship. The table of the showbread in the, in the holy place was a place that all 12 tribes contributed to. All 12 would bring bread to that table and the priest symbolically would show the fellowship with God's people and the bread of life. It was a coming together. One day, we will, the Bible says we will sit, uh, I think it's the Song of Solomon, it says we, will, we sing the little kid song, he sets me at his banqueting table. It's a picture of Fellowship. Jesus said in Revelation chapter 3, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and I will sup with him. There, there's a, something about fellowship around the table. We are excited. Uh, this week uh, on Tuesday is my wife's birthday. She doesn't want me telling you that she's turning 50. Because she's not. <laughs> I tease her because her high school transcript says 1971. And she used that to get her Canadian citizenship. And I said, so either you lied to the government or you're 50, which is it? And so she, but anyway, it's her birthday on Tuesday. And my daughter and her husband are are coming home. And we have Austin home. And so for the first time in a long time, we're going to have three quarters of our family around a dinner table. That's a blessing. And uh, for the first five minutes anyway. And then Austin starts putting on a show, and it's all gone. But uh, anyway, we're looking forward to that. I was thinking about that the other day. This is the closest we've got to having everybody together in a long, long time. Brendan's still out, out west with his wife, but one day maybe we'll have everybody. Well, that's a blessing. That's what the table represents. And they said, we despise the table. Notice what he says, verse 8. Or sorry, the table of the Lord is contemptible. I don't want to go to the place where we meet with God. It revealed their hatred for the place of worship, but it also, look down verse 13. He said also, behold, what a weariness is it. 
You ever said, and listen, don't raise your hand. Have you ever said, I'm just tired of church? Just tired of church. I have. I remember times years ago where I thought, oh, such an effort to get up and go to church. Not because of the Lord, but honestly because of God's people. I'm not pointing the finger at anybody. And some of you said, I don't want to go because of that preacher. I get it. But this I've learned, when I have a problem out here, my real problem's up there. My problem isn't with somebody here. The problem is with my attitude towards the Lord. And a problem with my own flesh. Because the Bible says in 1 John 5 that if we love Christ, we'll love the brethren. And if my love is cold for the brethren, my love must be cold for the Lord. But he says, we got weary. We got tired of it. Look what he says in verse 13. He said also, behold, what a weariness is it, and ye have snuffed at it. I, I don't even know what Greek word you use to get the word snuffed. But it doesn't sound good, does it? I think of a bull when he's angry, and he starts breathing out those nostrils, and that's snuffed at Frustration and anger. He says, I, I want you to come to the house of the Lord and I want you to have a time of rejoicing and I want you to worship me, but you've got weary about it and you've snuffed that and it's become contemptible. It revealed their hatred for the place of worship, but it revealed their hatred for the person of worship. Notice it says in the rest of, rest of verse 13, you said also, behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and ye brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering, should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord. We get so weary sometimes, I understand, and you say, well, I got... the problem with these people was not going to church. They were ritualistic. But they didn't want to bring their best. And God says, you might be weary, and you might snuff at the place of worship, but let me tell you this, what you're really doing is defiling my name. It's not about that brick-and-mortar building. It's not even about the assembly of people that you're dishonoring. You're really dishonoring me. It has to do with their approach. It was ritualistic. It was revealing. But notice secondly this morning. Sorry, that was their attitude. I said their approach, but that was their attitude. I want you to notice their approach. Can I go back and just show you a couple things? So when they came with this wrong attitude, notice what they came with. First of all, they came with a corrupted offering. We've already talked about that. I'm just going to give you some points here very quickly. They came with a corrupted offering. Verse 7a says it was polluted bread. And verse 9 talks about the sacrifice. So we see a corrupted offering. We see a contemptible table. It talks about the place of worship. That we see a costless sacrifice. Friends, this is really something we need to think about. The cost of the sacrifice is verse 8. It says, if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame, you say, why, why is that considered costless? Here's why. Because those are things they could not sell at market. Those are things that did not have value. If you had a sick lamb, I, I remember times where I, I, I've been over... Uh, 
drove around Judge Farm's barn there, the pig barn. I, I just kind of was curious and wanted to see it. And I came around the back and there was some dead pigs laying out there and they were taking them over to an incinerator. I said, what happened to them? They just died? And he said, no, they got sick. And they could infect the whole herd. You can't sell a sick pig. If you've raised any type of animal, you know that. The chickens, whatever, it, it could cause greater harm to the flock or to the herd. And so the sick animal was not worth anything. It cost them nothing. And so they would give it to the Lord. And, and let me point this out. First of all, it was disobedience. It was disobedience. What kind of offering were they to bring to the Lord? One that was perfect, without spot, without blemish, and a firstling of the flock. Understand this. When we bring the bottom of the barrel to God... We are in place of disobedience. Not only are we dishonoring God, but we're in a place of disobedience to God. Because God commands better. Notice, let me just remind you what he says in verse 14. I am a great king. I'm a great... He said, I deserve better. A costless sacrifice was disobedience, but it was also disrespectful. It says, isn't this not evil? Verse 8, offer it now unto the governor. Will he be pleased? Would an earthly king be happy with this? He says, no. It's disrespectful. It's disobedience. And it's demeaning. We sang this morning about the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The ensemble sing, he is worthy, worthy of his name. And God says to Israel, you've despised my name. Where do we fall? Their approach, their attitude. Let me give you the last thing, the admonishment. So how do we, how do we come back? Pastor, in my heart, I, I kind of feel like maybe I'm not giving my all. Maybe I'm just giving a, well, the leftovers to God. God, I, I, I'd be happy to give an offering once all my bills are paid and all my fun time is taken care of. And if there's a little left over, the devil will make sure there's nothing left over. He'll take it all. Listen, what kind of, we serve such a gracious God. If you, get, if you start giving to the devil, he'll take it all. God says, I just, just an offering. Just show me how much you love me. Just worship me. When you sing, you sing with all your heart. I, I, is is uh, Jennifer Wilbanks here? No? Good. I'm going to pick on her. Jennifer is probably 90 pounds soaking wet. How many of you know Jennifer? And she's in the choir. And she had a little bit of a cold last year. Pastor, I don't know if I can be in the choir. It's just, it's just sniffles. I, I don't know. She says, I, I want to I make sure I'm giving my best to the Lord. I, don't, I think if a mouse ran across the platform, it would be louder than her. She's so quiet. I've actually had to lead choir a couple times, and I'm standing here, and she's right here, and I can't hear a thing she sings. But that's fine. And so one day she walked back, got out of the choir, and she walked back to the back, and she says, Brother Judge, if I'm off a little bit, will you let me know? I don't want to sing if I'm off key. 
<laughs> he said, okay, I'll let you know. I know she doesn't have much, but she wants to give her best. It's often people like that. She's the first one to bake a pie for somebody. She doesn't have much. Lord says, I want your best. You say, how do I get back to giving my best? Look at the admonishment. Verse 9, now I pray you, beseech God. Beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. This hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord of hosts? So first we see a request. Beg God for his grace. Beg God for his grace. The prophet writes about the problems up to verse eight through verse 8. Then he tells him verse 9, the admonishment. And then he tells him all about their problems again going forward. The rest of the chapter, he just repeats it all again. He says it a little bit differently, but he's just repeating the same thing. Guys, you got to get this. God deserves our best. God deserves our worship. He deserves our praise. He is a great king. How do we get back to that, Malachi? You need to beseech God for grace. Beseech God that he will be gracious. And then we have to make a realization. He says, and now I pray you beseech God that he will be gracious unto us. Listen to this. This hath been by your means. You say, what is he saying there? This is your fault. Take responsibility. Well, I wonder why the Spirit of God's not moving when I go to church. How come I never sense that in my heart? God says, look in here first. Before you start looking around at everybody else's offering and sacrifice, have a look here first. This is by your means. Israel, this is your fault. Well, how come God isn't speaking to me? How many of you think for a second that's God's fault? Not at all. It's ours. This is beseech him, beg him for grace. Then we see restoration. Verse 9, he says, you come and you beseech him. We see the request. He says, this hath been by your means. Taking responsibility, we have a realization. Own it, take responsibility. And then we see a restoration. Neither, or, sorry, verse 9, this hath been by your means. Will he regard your persons, saith the Lord. When you're pleading with God and you're taking responsibility, we're reminded of 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And when we're on our face begging God, the question we are asking is, God, will you accept me again? Will you receive me? Is there some way you can be pleased with how I worship you? Pleased with my gifts. Pleased with how I'm using my spiritual gifts for your glory. So he admonishes him and says, go and beg God. I think as a church, sometimes we need to do that corporately. God, we want you to be pleased with us. We want to be the church that God is pleased to meet with and that will join with us on a Sunday a morning, a Sunday night, a Wednesday night, whenever we gather by two or three in his name, that Jesus will be there in the midst of us and we can know his presence and we can know his power and we can have him stir our hearts. We want a church that God is pleased with and so we must beg God. But individually, a church is the sum total of its parts. We must also beg God. 
God, am I giving my best? Would you be gracious to me? Would you allow me now? I take full responsibility for the spiritual walk that I have, and I want to do better. I want to serve you. What are the consequences if we don't? One minute more and we're done. God will make his name great elsewhere. Let me say that again, and I'm going to prove it to you from Scripture. God will make his name great elsewhere. How many of you remember the story of David and Goliath? And David was coming in, and there was a battle going on, and they are fighting in the valley with the Philistines. And every day they are just battling, and David's excited. The Bible says he's shouting for the battle. Sounds like a teenage boy, doesn't it? Excited about a war. And so as he comes up there, and he's talking to his brother, and all of a sudden Goliath steps out. And Goliath kind of says, you know, this is foolish. Why are we fighting like this all the time? Why don't you just send a champion, and I'll come and fight him, and whoever wins, the battle will be over. We'll just serve the other nation. David got excited about it. What will be given? What will be given to the man who takes off the head of this uncircumcised Philistine, who defies the armies of the living God? David just stepped out by faith. Didn't didn't scare him at all. God empowered David. And David went out and fought the battle. And you know the story. He took down Goliath and he cut off his head and he brought it back on a charger to Saul. But here's why I believe David was successful. He said this, that the world may know there is a God in Israel. I'm not going to defy his name because we want the whole world to know there's a God in Israel. If we don't praise God, if we don't worship him, if we don't give him our best, he'll make his name known elsewhere. He won't just sit in Israel, he'll go somewhere else. Notice what it says, verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the what? Isn't he talking to Israel? This is a warning. Hey, if you're not going to give me your best, I'll go find a country that will. You thought I hated Esau? I'll just step over into Edom and and they'll worship me. I'll go over here into Jordan and they'll worship me. I'll go up to Babylon. I'll go up to Persia and I'll I'll show my glory and, and they will surely worship me. I'll make my name great among the Gentiles. Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and they were crying out, Hosanna, and some people were getting upset about the praise. Well, they're just too loud. We don't don't like that they're calling him the king of kings and blessed is he that comes. We don't like all this worship and praise. And Jesus said, if they hold their peace, those rocks over there will cry out. Let them praise. And God is saying to Israel, if you don't, If you don't worship me properly, if you don't get this, we're talking about the consequences. I'll just take my glory and I'll go somewhere else. And I will make my name and my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place, incense shall be offered unto my name. And a pure, Israel, you don't know how good you have it. 
I dwell in your presence. You are my people. Don't make me go somewhere else. And then we see that they were cursed. Verse 14, but cursed be the deceiver which hath in his flock a male and avoweth a sacrifice in the Lord. I'm, I'm reminded of Ananias and Sapphira. Here's what we sold the property for, and we're giving it all to the glory of God, and God struck them dead. Israel was doing the same. He says, you are cursed if you're trying to deceive when you have better animals in your flock and you're bringing the blind and the half-rated worship. Bottom of the barrel, whatever we can scrape together, let's throw it together for the glory of God. God says, no, you're despising my name. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. If you were to ask me who am I preaching to, I'm preaching to Al Fieri. I can't tell you how many times where life gets busy and you cobble together something at the last minute. I'm not talking about when the Spirit of God comes by and says, do this. I think we always ought to be obedient. I'm talking about when you have not made the right preparations to worship God. Let's stand to our feet. The altar is open even now. I put out an email yesterday. I don't know if you read it or not. But I was just trying to encourage folks. Let's be prepared to worship. Let's pray before we go. Let's be do little things. It was just some pointers. They're not biblical, all of them. We try to have our clothes pressed and everything the night before so that Sunday morning is not frantic. We have time to pray and read our Bibles before we come to the house of God. I never go get gas in my car on the way to church. I want to make sure my car is ready to go. If there's a snowstorm, I'll go out Saturday night and I'll try to get the snow cleared off as best I can. If more comes, fine, but I don't want anything to say. I, I can't get to church Sunday morning. I need to be there to worship the Lord. So many little things can become a stumbling block to us if we're not careful. Let me ask you, are you giving your all there's an old, old song, is you're all on the altar of sacrifice laid. Are you giving God your very best? Listen, there's nothing wrong with a Heinzman upright. But if you got that Steinway Grand sitting in your living room and God says, I want you to give that instead, then we need to obey. I'm not looking for an offering. I'm not looking for a bump in our tithes. I'm not, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about our worship. Reflecting our hearts, giving God our very best, all that we have to give. <clears throat> by and by, when I look on his face, I'll wish I had given him more. Is there somebody here today who would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm not sure I know God. I don't have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. And I, I'm going to be honest, our message today was for those who are already believers. But we'd like to help you. Maybe the Holy Spirit is stirring you and you're not sure what's going on. Let us take a Bible and answer some questions for you today. Nobody's looking around and I won't embarrass anybody, but could I pray for you today? Pastor, I'm not sure I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die today, I don't know where I'd spend eternity. Can we help you? Slip up your hand. I won't embarrass you. I promise you. 
Maybe there's some today that would need to go home and beseech God, plead with God. God, hey, if nothing else, just say, God, am I giving my best? Is there something else you want from me? Is there another area that I can improve on? Is there something I can do to bring your name more glory?